This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Our guests today, Art Spiegelman, almost single-handedly brought comic books out of the toy closet and onto the literature shelves. In 1992, he won the Pulitzer Prize for his Holocaust narrative, Mouse, which portrayed Jews as mice and Nazis as cats. In 2004, he completed a two-year cycle of broadsheet-sized color comic pages in the shadow of No Towers, which was selected by the New York Times Book Review as one of the 100 notable books of that year. His most recent work includes a new edition of his first book, the 1978 anthology Breakdowns, as well as a children's book, Jack in the Box. Art Spiegelman, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, How is it up in San Francisco today? Oh, it's really beautiful. I feel like sort of uh, it's just one window away, you know. I can get out there maybe if I can run away from... uh, Books are long enough to like go into old stomping grounds and haunts. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Have you seen any old friends? Is there a particular place you want to visit up there? Oh, well, at the moment, I'd love to go to uh, Green Apple Books and hang out with Spain Rodriguez, is a comics artist I've known since the underground days. We're supposed to hook up later, I believe, and then well, in the in the uh, 1950s sense of hook up, and then um, hopefully I'm going to call a couple of other people, uh, like Dan Klaus lives out here, and see what I can arrange, but the windows of time are very small, uh, comic panels, yeah. Uh, well, well, I hope you get to see everything you want <laughs> there. It's, you've had a very busy schedule, I'm sure, and thanks for... Yeah, for how, yeah well, that's why I'm sort of like... Um, if I'm not coherent, it's because I was born that way. But no, it's, it's worse. It's worse. <laughs> it's you're you're yeah. having a uh, slam bang schedule, I guess. Then kind of. Yeah. Now you were just in Los Angeles this weekend. You're up there, and what what's the public reaction been to breakdowns? This is a, a book you did 30 years ago. Uh, it's it's a collection. And, and what has the public thought about that? If they do, they still recognize you. Um. Well, older, slightly pudgier beard, it's not that hard. Um, actually, the reaction's been amazing to me because I was kind of scared to go out and around with this book because um, if people who know my work from Mouse know a work that can be uh, swum through, whatever the subject is, and however difficult and stormy that is, one reads it without stumbling over the comics language. And the work uh-huh. in Breakdowns, is made to create obstructions, difficulties, have you curve around and loop back. And it's, all, it's more clearly than the Mao's books, a work not so much to be read, but reread. You know, mm-hmm. like one you have to enter in. So I thought it's very difficult to talk about, which is true. I, even though I've been on the road, I have not been able to reduce what I'm doing to sound bites, which is much more useful than you'd think when you're being asked for short, punchy answers. Uh, it's good to have them. So... As a result, I didn't know what to expect, and the audience has been incredibly sharp. Uh, now, there, there's even a, uh, a version of Mouse in this, uh, this edition. Although the Ur-Mouse, yeah. the first Mouse, yeah. Yes, uh, the, the, uh, the characters have changed a bit. Was that a conscientious decision when you moved on? Was there, was there any reason behind that? or you just Well, moved? yeah, that first thing, the first and earliest piece in this uh, uh, 
reissue of Breakdowns is something from 1972, a three-page comic done for uh, an anthology, Funny Aminals, with a cover by Robert Crumb, where two young fox boys go chasing after this big-legged chicken woman, lure her up to the apartment, and eat her. Because, hey, hey you know, <laughs> foxes, chickens, that's what happens. Um, but in my work then, I was still in the thrall of that kind of underground comic, and this was my first step away from it into a subject matter that didn't move in the direction of that kind of, uh, um, you know, breaking sexual and uh, other taboos about comics. It, it was finding my own area and my own voice. But the drawing really does look more like what surrounds it in that era, that, that kind of underground comics drawing. The long book, I had to find a very specific way of drawing that could be drawn same size as the little but fat book I was making. Uh-huh. I guess now it's called graphic novels. I don't know. <laughs> but this little fat book where I had to draw something that didn't look as kind of uh, finicky as uh, uh-huh. underground comics can get with all of the cross-hatching and shadings and uh, laced in with a lot of extra eyeball kicks and details. And so the Mouse book was a, was a conscious decision. And there's also the fact that from 1972 to 1978 is exactly when I finally learned a little bit about what it is to be a cartoonist rather than just sort of stumbling along. I, I got some chops under my belt compared mm-hmm. to that first Mouse strip. Now, where did you pick up those chops? Was it just a matter of, of repetition, or do you have some uh, Yeah, I think even a monkey can learn to be a cartoonist if you lock him up in a room and just only <laughs> wants to be a cartoonist. <laughs> yeah. Was so, it, so, so, so you're attributing it to reputation then, huh? Is it, yeah. <laughs> now, I, so, I, yeah. Yeah. I have a confession to make. I, I have owned the original Breakdowns, and I was... Uh, wow. I was quite shocked when I when I I got the review copy of this one. I wasn't quite sure what I was holding at first. Uh, I saw the small version of it on the front. Open it up. Saw the cover. Uh, I think there's something like only fifteen hundred of the originals printed. And I, I remember getting well, four thousand, but that's still th- a spit in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. And and this was a a, a, a an unusual printing too, in that uh, you you had your publisher all lined up. You had the books all printed up, and then at the last minute, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what was going on there? Uh, where in the first book? Yeah, in the yeah, first, in the first book. You know, you've you've got the book sitting there, uh, pretty much all printed up, and then d- didn't he oh. go out of business? The uh, well, yeah, my my uh, then uh, mentor and friend and uh, the head of the creative department of Topps Bazooka Bubblegum, who uh, helped me find out how to uh, uh, be the, a cartoonist of some kind. Uh, Woody Gelman had had a small publishing house. He thought he was going to get a zillion dollars uh, by publishing an Elvis Presley poster book right after Elvis died, uh-huh. and uh, and he just invited everybody he knew to make whatever book they wanted, including me. And the only thing I really wanted was that collection of my underground comics work in the, from seventy two to seventy seven, orchestrated into a book, printed large size, hardcover. And he was game, but then he found out that like uh, it was going to take him several months to get the Elvis Presley poster book made. He um, and that that uh, would be way too late to be a good uh, capitalist exploitation stunt that could bring in <laughs> zillions of dollars because by then everybody could have Elvis. Presley stuff done. So the result was my book was allowed to languish at the printer unbound until uh, another friend who had a publishing house called Bellier Press, which was a pornographic publishing house, came to my rescue and decided he could publish art books as well as pornography. So that was the first breakdowns. And, and there were a lot of 
breakdowns and disasters along the way to that book. Like there's one set of very hardcore images uh-huh. in the 78 book from a piece I had done for a comic called Young Lust. And the printers were so uh, interested in studying the image <laughs> that uh, they just didn't look at the printing press. So at least a thousand of the projected uh, 5,000 copies came out with smeared ink all over them. <laughs> oh my is, is that true? They, they, they got distracted by, by that, one, say, that image? I was there that night. I didn't know what to look for. I didn't know what a how printing presses were, yeah. you know. I trusted them, and they were just sort of trusting their uh, the brain below the belt, mm. I guess. Well, <laughs> I, I've got to tell you, when I first got the copy of this book in 1978, I, I, I put it out proudly I, and uh, kept it on my coffee uh, table for quite a while, put it up on the shelves, you know. It was, and then when, when my uh, first daughter was born, I, uh, I, I hid it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the weird thing is that it's a book just coming out, and it has adults only on the cover very clearly, because actually I insisted on it, the publisher didn't, uh, and it's at the same moment that I have a book done for five-year-olds that is yeah. legitimately not designed to warp, but to use comics to uh, teach children how to read, like a comics format thing called Jack and to the Box. My want from my wife's uh, new self-publishing publishing house, ToonBooks.com, and so like I don't know, a book for five-year-olds to help them learn how to read in a more engaging way than see spot run, run spot run kind of things. And uh, at the same moment, my work from Young Lust re-entering the world. Yeah. Now that's ToonBooks.com on the children. I books? think so. It might be Toon-Books. If you put ToonBooks and Spie- uh, I don't know Spiegelman or Comics, yeah, something um, will come up know. there. That'll Google get will get you there within a click. I is. don't have the email address memorized because it's just sort of on my bookmark page. Yeah. We're speaking uh, with legendary cartoonist Art Spiegelman. And, and how is it uh, doing children's books? Is there is there a big shift you have to make when you're going from, say, a uh, project like... Actually, actually so, you know, it's a good question. And surprisingly for me, no, because the work in breakdowns is a, uh, an act of high compression. You know, like the work is very condensed... And has to, I have to be very clear about what I'm doing because it's, it's complex stuff. Like the new part of Breakdowns that's in front of the reprint or the reissue yes. is, is all uh, very uh, fraught and uh, basic memories for me, condensed down to sometimes 3 or 12 or 14 panels. And the comic for Jack in the Box is also in its own way very compressed and condensed. I wanted it to be a rich book for a little kid to read and reread. And a lot of my work's been built on... Um, an art of limitation. Decide, like, something and then stick with it. Like, uh, how can I explain that easily? But, like, for instance, if I decide to do a, a comic that's an essay, uh, which is uh, um, one of the stories in Breakdowns, one of the pieces in Breakdowns called Cracking Jokes about the nature of humor, mm-hmm. um, I gave myself certain assignments. Like, I couldn't use too many words because then it would uh, feel like an essay rather than an essay in comics form while I was stumbling for this new format. Uh, and and when I was doing this book for uh, five- and six-year-olds, it was with a very limited word list, just like Dr. Seuss used when he did his uh, early I Can Read book. Uh-huh. And it was done with the notion of we must help the child learn to read from left to right, so everything has to help that happen. Um, and things that are said should be shown, but not in such a way that it just feels like a picture of a ball, say the word ball, and... Uh, the words should appear uh, several times to help the repetition helps, rhyme helps, things like that. And I liked very much with that kind of charting out as a way of understanding what I was making and then doing the double stunt of making it 
uh, sophisticated without trying to reach over the child's head, but go directly to what I remember from my childhood, what I saw with my kids, and make the book work that way. So th- those degrees of limitations and the way that would uh, result in a work is exactly how I work. So I felt in a way like, okay, the book for five-year-olds to learn how to read, we can publish as a pamphlet and side breakdowns as well. Yeah. Now, you worked for the, the New Yorker for a while. Uh, and I, imagine... yeah, I sort of still do. I'm not yeah. on staff anymore. I, I moved to but I'm a contributor. Actually, one page of uh, from the old breakdowns was just in the New Yorker a couple of weeks ago. Oh, well, very good. I'll have to check that one out. But when you worked there, was it more of a, uh, a day-to-day job at the New Yorker, uh, being on staff? Oh, no. Like, in that sense, my wife is on staff, and she uh-huh. goes there every day. Like, when I left, she remains behind as a, a hostage, so we continue to get okay. help. Yeah. She's the art editor of the New Yorker. And... Uh, for me, um, I never really was uh, uh, had a. I had an office that I didn't have to go to, and for the most part, I just worked <laughs> in my studio and just came up with uh, drawing, writing, comics. And in the very beginnings of, uh, of Tina Brown's reign, I was also a consultant to the magazine until she and I were temporarily not on speaking terms. Uh-huh. And then I was told that you can't be a consultant if you won't speak to the person you're consulting for. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, was was there anything you'd like to get into with uh, Tina Brown and, and tell us about her? Was, was there oh, any... I mean, at the time, you know, I really appreciate her in retrospect because she did uh, a great job of livening up the magazine and giving it a mm-hmm. uh, some much needed uh, oxygen. And that there was that. The, the problem for me was I, I work kind of deliberately and uh, slowly and try to build an image or whatever I'm working on and. Tina Brown can kind of change her mind in three seconds. And all of a sudden you're moving in another direction or you're moving into a wall while she's off somewhere in Kansas. So um, (laughs) I found it very unnerving to work with something that that had no ground under it. Maybe as a result, her new blog is perfect medium for her because, uh, um, what is it called, the Media Beast? I I am not sure. Oh, she has a new very large-scale Huffington Post-style blog that she launched uh, just yesterday, and I have oh, really? my, opened, uh, my unopened emails, a couple of letters from her right now. Uh, but here, you know, I feel maybe the Internet is more congenial to uh, someone who wants to be so hot and on topic that the topic can't last more than a third of a second. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Art Spiegelman, the, uh, the author of Mouse and In the Shadow of No Towers. Now, let's talk a little bit about that book, because that's something... Uh, Apparently, you had to go overseas to get parts of this published because no one wanted to handle the size of yeah, these Yeah, I mean, that's basically why the moment that I left uh, an ongoing relationship with uh, the New Yorker that was more close was after September 11th, after the cover that my wife and I put together for mm-hmm. the issue that came out a few days after September 11th, that black-on-black yeah. cover. That was a beautiful magazine. cover, too. I, I was stunned when I basically I saw that. was living yeah. in September 12th for at least a year. Yeah after September 11th, and I couldn't focus on anything else because I felt the world was ending. And now, you know, eight years, whatever, seven, eight years later, I I think maybe I'm right. It was just taking longer than I thought. But at that time, I couldn't go and do like, uh, uh, I don't know, let's think about golf or something. (laughs) I couldn't do it. So um, I began working on pages about my September 11th when we were down at Ground Zero getting our daughter out of a school two blocks from the towers, yeah, outran the towers that fell. I needed to work on that as subject matter and 
just to try to understand what was happening in and around me. And those pages had no place in the New Yorker. They didn't have that kind of uh, um, aplomb and distance that's the voice of the New Yorker at all. And as a result, I found a coalition of the willing, as they used to call it, in uh, <laughs> Germany, Italy, France, was willing to publish my pages as I was making them. I had no intention of making a book then. I didn't think in terms of posterity. I was just waiting for New York to explode with another bomb. Yeah. And uh, while waiting, I figured I could do some comics pages and had this fantastic opportunity from the editor of the site, a friend in Germany, who just said, do whatever you want, no editor's clause, just take the, the space you need and we'll publish. And that gave me my uh, way through. Did you find uh, doing this book therapeutic? Did it allow you to think about I golf guess, again? I mean, I'm always a little um, um, defensive when somebody says it's therapeutic. Okay. Because I, I guess that everything that's done is to avoid something harder. So in that sense, yes. But if I can use a really unpleasant analogy... I think um, therapy is like finding stuff and vomiting it up. Yeah. Like if you, if you want to reduce it to an image. And making art is like taking the chunks of vomit and eating them. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry. So, so you felt that like you... Kind of a, it's, a, it's a different process. You have to like yeah. condense, compress, assimilate yeah. in ways that might be uh, different than the... Uh, What's implied by therapy? Yeah, I understand. I was, I was, I, was, uh, I even myself uh, shied away from therapy, but then I tossed it out there, and it got a nice I mean, response. I them both. <laughs> I, I see how they relate, but they're not synonyms. Making comics and therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to ask: When did you get? Did you get the breakdowns book when it first happened? That's yeah. I, as far yeah. as I know, I was trying to put a date on it when I got this, and and I it's pretty close to 1978. I got a solicitation through the mail. And at the time, I was doing a lot of, uh, I was buying Bukowski at the time. I was doing uh, Black Sparrow Press, a lot of chat books. And they just, uh, I wish I had saved the solicitation because it spoke of this, uh, you know, uh, new upcoming uh, genius that, that had wow. this wonderful book. And I, I couldn't resist. And, uh, well, and then the fact that you held on to it when it's been up like into the, um, I don't know, four or $500 on eBay when it shows up at all is uh, very well, impressive. Thank well, you. Yeah, I just, I, I don't collect books for uh, the money. I, I, uh -huh. I collect it because I, I, I like the people I'm collecting and, and I enjoy doing it that way. And I had no idea. I think I'll go on eBay today and sell it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I don't know whether having a, a reissue brings the price down or up, yeah. but I'm not sure because yeah. now it's available at least. You don't have to turn your wallet inside out. Yeah. Um, and on the other hand, if I had to choose, I would certainly take this new version because it's not so much a... I, don't, I was trying to listen and forgot when you were introducing it with what you called it. Did you call it a reprint or a reissue? I think I called it a reissue. Let me see. That's, you know, yeah. that's good instinctive use of language because a it's not reprinted because that would be yeah. too direct it's sort of reconsidered -con you know uh -huh. like it exists in the center of this other large size book that's holding it as the cream in the uh cookie sandwich or something you know <laughs> yeah well i, I got to tell you i'm going to keep both editions because they really <laughs> do complement each other they uh, you know, what you've added to the new one if, for example i i had no idea that you uh you uh, did garbage pail kid works? Uh huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> is that? Well, but you know what it really is is that the book is about forty pages, the old book, uh -huh. and uh, 
each short, very condensed and compressed strips that weren't like the other things around it. And then now, when Pantheon was willing to publish it, I said, well, I should do an introduction. And then, much to my uh, amazement, I started making a comic that took two years to do that's half the size of the book itself, 20 pages, that to introduce the 40-page book. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it recontextualizes and starts a kind of dialogue with the older book, and then to explain the introduction, which was almost as complex as the work that followed, I did a prose and illustrated afterward. <laughs> so it's an endless uh, yes. loop, but as a result, it holds uh, the other book in a very different way than it does when it was falling through the world unnoticed. Un, uh, yes. The <laughs> yeah. And there's another interesting little tidbit I picked up, too. Uh, uh, Mike and I had just spoken with uh, Azazel Jacobs. Uh, uh-huh. just, just last week, uh, right, re- re- right. regarding his new movie, Mama's uh, Man, Mama's Man, and, and uh-huh. I, I had no idea you had such a you know a relationship with Ken Jacobs, which you bring oh, up. Oh yeah, here. I mean, I, gee, I, I knew Aza before he knew Aza. Oh, just when he was an infant, yep. hitting me on the head with an empty roll of paper. Ah, um, <laughs> and now look what he's doing. <laughs> if you, if you, I, I don't know if you've seen uh, Mama's Man. Oh, absolutely, isn't it's very it a, interesting? Yeah, it's, I really uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, so absolutely, Ken uh, Jacobs, the non-narrative uh, uh, genius filmmaker, was a very important figure for me when I was trying to get my brains back together after my commune LSD psychedelic moment and uh-huh. actually helped reconfigure those and rewire my neurons so that uh, I seemed a little bit saner and was also willing to take on the mantle of trying to make something serious out of what I was working with, comics. Yeah, I like the one little section where he's telling you to not look at, uh, not be so uh, uh, overwhelmed by artwork. Think of them as panels of cartoons. Uh, right, yeah. it was very useful in seeing and not being as suspicious of Picasso as I <laughs> had. And I thought he was a charlatan and a con man because he was getting so much money for his uh, uh, stuff, and it seemed like I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't get this thing, and and. Um, Ken very patiently ushered me and saying, well, just think of them as big comic book panels and think of them as one more um, jerk-off cartoonist, you know? (laughs) And it helped. See, at that time, I think that's the subject of a lot of uh, what Breakdowns was about. It was about that high-low divide and me being a slob snob, uh, afraid of that high culture, then learning to embrace it and re-enfold it into something with no hyphen anymore. Yes. Well, Art Spiegelman, we've run out of time. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all the great work you've done over the years. The the new book is Breakdowns, or I should say the reissue is Breakdowns, but there's Mouse, there's In the Shadow of No Towers, and there's the children's book, Jack in the Box. Art Spiegelman, Spiegelman, thanks for being on Weekly Signals. Well, thanks so much, Nathan. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals. Weekly Signals.